Information is meaningless. You're bombarded with thousands upon thousands of messages through your phone and everywhere else throughout the day from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. What brings the meaning is context to your life. So today on the next Simple Step podcast, that's what we're going to do is bring context to your daily life. How can you optimize your health? What's the right amount of water to drink or how much protein do you actually need? Let's start there with part two of my conversation with E.C. Sinkowski. She's a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist. E.C., somebody's working out, how much protein do we actually need? I actually am probably a little bit lower than some people in kind of the functional fitness space. So I recommend 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight. And I do base that off of your current weight, unless you're at least 25 pounds away from your desired weight, in which case you would use the target weight instead of the current weight. But again, that's 0.7 grams per pound. You will hear people higher than that, and especially go up to one gram per pound of body weight. I've chosen this number for many reasons. It does come from some research, including research that suggests where people maximize adding muscle mass from recreational trainees, which I consider most people in the US. <laughs> most people are not professional level athletes. So people can put on muscle mass at this level of protein. I am okay if people really want to go up to one gram per pound. I think for most people, it's more than they need. And it tends to be the less kind of uh, weightlifter and bodybuilding-esque they are. Once we get to one gram per pound, it tends not to be very sustainable. For people that are interested in fitness, interested in putting on lean mass, 0.7 grams per pound is high enough for that for sure. And on that topic, what's optimal water intake? Because mm. we hear all kinds of different numbers thrown about and it's a lot. What do you suggest? Yeah, I think what's difficult about water is some of those numbers are inclusive of the liquids in your foods and other drinks. And people don't always know that. It depends. It depends what numbers and what we're talking about. But a lot of times when people hear these numbers of like 2.7 or 3.7 liters of water, that they think that that's on top of coffee and on top of fruits and vegetables. And they're like, oh my God, this is so much water. It's like, it is because you get to count that other stuff too. So I actually don't really put out many guidelines in terms of ounces or liters, partially because it varies so much based on activity, body size, even things like altitude, uh, temperature can affect it. So I think drink to thirst and then also check in with urine and see that it's pale yellow are some great guides. And so obviously those two things aren't perfect either, but I think they're going to be the best guideline for most people. Drink to thirst and then check in and see that you have pale yellow urine in case for some reason the thirst mechanism isn't working for you. For most people it does. It does kind of decline with age, which is kind of my only reason why I kind of have that additional caveat there. Right. But you can't substitute, say, Diet Coke for the water mm. intake. You mentioned coffee. But so which drinks qualify as enough liquid intake as opposed to water? No, you can't. I know people worry about them in terms of a diuretic, but the diuretic effect is not significant enough at kind of typical mm. doses to worry about that, like combating your hydration or whatever. So all mm. of the liquid can count. Oh, wow. um, probably at extreme ranges, we have to start worrying about it, but not enough for most people to worry about. And again, I, I, I don't look at it as like, today I'm getting through my gallon of water. I look at mm -hmm. it as like, am I thirsty? And is my urine pale yellow? And that will dictate it. We have different activities on different days. Some days we do sweat more, some days we don't. And so it's never going to be like, I need one gallon of water every day. <laughs> right. Like it just doesn't, 
doesn't work that way. Some of this stuff too, it's if the body needed to be this precise, we would never have made it to 2023 as a species. Like it just gets a little silly sometimes. It does. Well, I heard you mention on your podcast and it's something I've been paying attention to recently contemplating and it's this Mm. thing called the 75 hard challenge. It's a mental challenge more than anything, but one of the components of that is to drink a gallon of water a day. Mm. Um, And so I thought, well, where did he get this number from? What's Mm. the point there? And I think it's the point of just being disciplined on anything for 75 days really kind of resets your uh, mental capacity and kind of breaks you out of your routine. But people throw around these numbers. That's a lot of water every day. Yeah, I haven't done the 75 hard challenge. And I read cursory on the website, like what it is really and all of the things. So I don't want to say that I know everything about it. The water one is kind of where I'm like, ah, eh, that's probably one I would throw out. Now, granted, people are supposedly doing these two workouts a day. So in theory, we might have a higher sweat rate. Also, what's really interesting about the higher water volume is you're probably not going to be drinking a lot of other things. So it's a great way to cut mm-hmm. down on soda. It's a great way to cut down on alcohol, which I know is another rule. But here's a way that by focusing on adding water, we might have some nice shifts and other things that have too many calories. So I don't think it's bad. The way that I would have changed that rule would have just been the only beverage you could drink is water. But ultimately, as an overall program, I think it's great for a program to become popular. That's basically like expect results in 75 days. I think it's phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And for the unfamiliar, so the 75 hard challenge, it's you pick a diet that you're going to choose, diet of your choice. Two 45-minute workouts a day. One of them has to be outdoors. Drink a gallon of water or four and a half liters. Read 10 pages of a nonfiction book and take a daily progress picture. I love this substitution method. If you do enough of Mm. the good things, you don't have time or space for some of the things that have negative effects on your health. We all have emotions. For me, I know that I have a craving. If I have one, I'm going to eat the whole bag of chips, right? And so I love the taste of them but I just don't need that in my diet. And so it's easier to just have zero than one. Mm -hmm. What do you tell people who legitimately want to curb their cravings, but they really love a particular food that isn't nutritionally Mm. good for them? You know, I think we have to be realistic about how often it's coming in in our diet. You know, if it's something that's truly kind of used sporadically and we really have the chips at an event, that's great. You can do that. And and granted, eating the whole bag isn't still a great strategy, depending on where you are from your goals. But I think that this idea that we should never have the foods we love is, is a little bit of a problematic one. Like we're going to want to figure out ways to include them. But the further that you are from your goal, the more likely that you're caving into the foods that you love and you probably are going to be need to be a little bit more restrictive around them. So I think not having them in the house is a great one because they're just too tempting. And until you develop the habits to have the diet focused around other foods, you're not going to want to have that temptation. And so the best way is to control your home environment. That being said, I think you can figure out ways to include them like at the social events or I don't know, some holiday or some party. And to be honest, I think a lot of people can include more discretionary calories in their day-to-day diets than they think. And again, I'm not trying to promote my masterclass here, but that's sort of the process that we go through is that a lot of people think they need to eat a very low number of calories to make progress when in fact, they probably can eat a higher amount of calories. It's just that they've been conditioned into a low number of calories. So we probably have a few more discretionary calories day-to-day than we Mm. might think of. And and maybe we don't want to open the bag of chips because they're so tempting, but maybe we can find something that's crunchy that will satisfy us in a similar way. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And the people that sell food wanted to make it 
easy to, for us to consume the stuff that's cheap to make. <laughs> and so they've made it easy. So you have to make it easy for yourself as you do with the 800 gram challenge, right? Just make sure you stock your home with fruits and vegetables and plan accordingly your meals every day. But yeah. it takes a little preparation and forethought and you've got to have it available to have. Now, what happens when you go out to eat? You're not taking a measuring cup with you. So hmm. how do you do that at a restaurant? I can give a very general guideline that a closed fist is about the size of a cup and about 800 grams is about six cups a day. So if you take the strategy of any like six fists a day of things. Now, it doesn't perfectly work out with those leafy greens, those salad greens, because they're so light. But most every other fruit and vegetable kind of averages out such that six cups a day is quite close. And so you can just do a hand eye measurement on kind of like the baked potato or the side of veggies. And you can even do it with the salads. It just turns out that a closed fist or a cup of leafy greens is only about 25 grams. So when I'm on the road, I don't bring a scale. I've done it enough to know kind of how much these things tend to weigh. And I can use my hand eye measurement. So I think about it as like six fists a day and then as many leafy greens as I want. Again, the leafy greens count, but because they're so light, I'm not going to worry about trying to measure them, especially when I'm on the road. And these side salads aren't that big. And so it could be like an apple, there's one, and then a banana, there's one, all stuff. But some of the beauty of when you're weighing stuff at home is it helps develop your eye. And so when you do go out to the restaurant, you're like, oh, yeah, that's 200 grams of that potato. Or, oh, yeah, that's about 80 grams of asparagus. You actually get quite good at it. This is why the guys at the deli counter can kind of grab one pound of meat perfectly on their first try. And so this is some of the benefit of weighing at home and that you develop the confidence and the ability to do it when you're on the road. I love that. I think one of our challenges isn't necessarily planning the optimal diets, but I think it's we're all over consuming everything, entertainment, activities, checking email throughout the night, not getting enough sleep. It, it all compounds. That's why I love your podcast called The Consistency Project. It's just about being consistent with healthy habits. And mm -hmm. we're not aiming for perfection, but progress and shooting for your goals. Uh, that's so powerful. I think with all of the things we have going on, a common challenge is we're stressed out. So we're looking for relief from the stress. And mm. that causes hormones like cortisol in our bodies. What are some foods specifically to help alleviate stress, to reduce the cortisol going on surging through our body? Yeah, I wouldn't look at it from a food perspective. I would figure out why you're okay. stressed and then try figure out how to handle that stress in a non-food way. In fact, I would maybe we go for a walk. Maybe we talk to somebody. Maybe we reframe the belief about what the stress is. I think a lot of our stress is kind of conditioned that we're like, oh, this is a stressful thing. And it's like, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a good thing. Or maybe it's I'm busy right now. Or maybe I made a poor choice to make me more busy right now. And that's stress. And so I have to change my schedule around to have more time to do the thing that I want to do. So I think sometimes we're kind of looking for a a quick fix on something. Oh, give me a pill and take this stress mm -hmm. away. It's like, well, why are you stressed? Do we need to be stressed about this? Are you just anxious? Is there a way that we can de deal with anxiety or the unknown? <laughs> Is there a way that we can change your life so you don't have as much stress? Like that's how we're going to get some real progress. Back to the no magic pill <laughs> available. You're not making this easy. Well, actually you are <laughs> in the right. long term, but Right. Um, that definitely is more of a lifestyle change and a mindset change, really. Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, in, in everyone's defense, there's no shortage of stuff in the media that is trying to sell you the quick fix, the pill and the supplement. And there's certainly money to be made there. And so this explains why it's being sold. And so I have people ask very similar questions and have very unrealistic expectations all the time. And I, I really don't fault them for it because you can walk into any store with any magazine cover and see something that's just a complete uh, unrealistic expectation or magic pill solution. 
For sure. What's something that maybe I haven't asked or you don't get asked very often that you wish people would ask more often? Hmm. Hmm. I think we kind of nailed it. I think it's kind of the expectations thing. We don't have a quick fix. We have a sustainable solution that will work forever in the long term. (laughs) And to kind of accept that and think about that and think about the habit changes that are required for that versus like, just tell me the foods to eat and just tell me the calories to hit. It's like a little bit of almost calming down the process and accepting that it's probably not going to go as fast as you want. But if you think about all the time you've spent on all these shortcuts and gimmicks and things that haven't worked, we probably would already be at the goal with this kind of quote, more slow way. I just think it's so important. And it's what I try to do with a lot of my clients initially is like, let's talk about expectations. Right. So yeah, reframing that a little bit. Slow is fast. (laughs) Fast is slow. Yeah. If the shortcuts worked, we'd all be there. We'd all know. Life is a journey. And along the journey, you know, depending on where you're at in lifestyle, because your lifestyle is different when you're a teenager versus when you're first time parent versus when you're middle aged or second half of life, uh, your needs and uh, activities change. So obviously diet and exercise and other management of stress, it's all relative. And mm. so I think that that's what's wonderful about uh, what you're saying here is um, you've got to be realistic. The principles remain true, but the methods might change depending on your season in life. Yeah, totally. Totally. If somebody does want to uh, learn more and join the 800 gram challenge or uh, check out your podcast, The Consistency Project. What's the best place to find you? Optimize Me Nutrition is my social media handles. And that's the same website, optimizemenutrition.com. Well, EC, thank you so much. This has been very beneficial. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. And thank you for listening to the Next Simple Step podcast. I hope you'll join me next time.